Welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. On this show, we share the stories of how different actors up and down the value chain are working to take climate action through food. It's all about inspiring collaboration, discussing the good that is happening, the challenges we share, and realizing a common vision for our future food system. I'm your host, Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. Going to eat at The Alchemist, like so many fine dining restaurants, is a major experience. The restaurant spans 2,200 square meters across four floors of a warehouse in Copenhagen. Despite the size of the space, there are just 48 seats in addition to two art installations, four kitchens, two actors, 37 chefs, 22 front of house staff, not to mention a team of food scientists, researchers, and in-house graphic, sound, industrial, and 3D designers, who all together create 50 impressions for guests to enjoy. Why are so many different kinds of people employed by a restaurant? That's because they take an approach to gastronomy known as holistic cuisine, which looks at the whole instead of the parts. Coined by Rasmus Munk, the chef and founder of The Alchemist, this approach to gastronomy combines science, technology, design, theater, and art to create an all-encompassing, thought-provoking, sensory gastronomic journey that challenges social and ethical issues, as well as how one views and experiences the world. Diego Prado is the head of R&D of Alchemist Explore. Explore is the restaurant's test kitchen in charge of developing new dishes, in addition to conducting scientific research on products and techniques that can serve as building blocks for gastronomy. In this episode, Diego takes us through the research and development process, and we discuss everything from their open source approach to how they structure and focus their work and how new dishes make it onto the menu. We also deep dive into some of their current projects, like how we can eat silkworms, invasive species of butterflies and discarded parts of the king crab, to how they collaborate with universities like MIT to make food in space. Hello and welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. So I would just love to start by hearing how you came to Denmark and how you got started with cooking. So a little bit about your background. I mean, I started in this job uh, early 2020, mm-hmm. uh, but I had been in Copenhagen many times. I actually, first time in Copenhagen was doing an internship at NOMA, 2009, no, 2010, 2011. And from then I have been coming back uh, very often. I also spent some time in, in the Nordic Food Lab, but I was already working at the Basque Culinary Center and came here like a few months to do some research and like a kind of collaboration exchange. And then I always came for holidays and everything. So then I, when I uh, leave uh, the Basque Culinary Center, I have this job offer and I, I just love Copenhagen. I think it was a very good opportunity to grow. Yeah. And you're originally from Chile. From so Chile. how did you get into cooking back there, back then? I, as far as I remember, I always wanted to study gastronomy from very early on my 
very early uh, was always cooking always very interested about food like also I think also my parents helped a lot in the sense like uh, with my father went a lot to fishing to picking mushrooms and like uh, with my mother like all the plants and garden things and I also I always linked it directly with the food and I was and I was a, when I was a teenager and actually was the one cooking in my house like hmm. doing the food and lunch for my father and my mother and doing all this kind of thing because I, I love it Every time my mother has like friends or something, I was the one cooking something in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was very obvious for me study gastronomy. Was and was it always linked to science for you, or did that come later that you took this very empirical approach? To I mean, food? from since I was starting, I always remember I was the only one in my class that was aware of what was happening in in the world i remember i was the first one actually like buying like the linear book when i was just starting and nobody knew what a linear was nobody knew how to use agar agar or chantangam or things like that i don't I was... think i know what any of these okay. things are <laughs> <Yeah>. either <laughs> but now are like very basic no but it's like using cornstarch now yeah uh, but back then it was very difficult and then i was very lucky that early when I was studying, I think like was even like the first year or the second year of my career, it was four year career. So I, think, I don't know, late first year, second year, I started working at a restaurant called Borago. And Borago is now like the most famous restaurant in Santiago and in Latin America, I would say. I think there are four in Latin America, 50 years, something like that. And I started there as a intern like for the band, and then I started growing and I end being the head chef and the head of the research department. I opened the research department. I worked like six years there. So while I was working, while I was working, while I was studying the first year, I was already working at Borago and that opened me like a lot of possibilities. Also from looking products that was, was, was going to be impossible to see in the university, but also connecting people and having access to Chantangam or to all these kind of things. So, so it was very fast for me in that sense. So it's a really big playground with lots of yeah, opportunities exactly. to connect with people and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tools. So now you work here at The Alchemist. And <clears throat> for people listening who have not been here before, can you just give a brief overview of the concept of The Alchemist and what it yeah, is? Yeah, I would try. Well, Alchemist is a very it's more like an experience than a restaurant, definitely. It's a very huge experience uh, that we are, we always say we have 15 impressions, but mm -hmm. it's because we have a seven or eight different rooms that you are moving through in your whole experience and your experience can be from i would say if you are very fast maybe you take three hours to it and if you are very slow we have been guests like even up to eight hours i was one of those eight hour people yeah <laughs> so you can you can definitely this is more like a playground or something so it's very It's very big experience. It's definitely way more than a restaurant. We have this concept like uh, Rasmus put from the very early beginning, even in the old Alchemy, because this is the second uh, location of the restaurant, way bigger than the old one. And it's, it's realistic, you see, that also like putting all the parts on the experience like at the same level, no? So the food is at the same level of the design. Like every little detail is very, very well thought about it, no? So it's nothing is random in the experience. Mm-hmm. And typically you say there's, it's like a theatrical experience yeah. of five acts, 50 impressions. And as we were just chatting about 
the impressions aren't necessarily literally 50 dishes, yeah, exactly. but it's, it's all the different elements and the sensory experience that yeah. activates you. Yeah, so it's around 30 something food little bites experience, but then we have like different, like we have two art installations that change every year. Uh, for example, right now, one of the, and the entrance we have like with the Philharmonic, uh, Copenhagen Philharmonic. So it's like a, of course, like a music interpretation, like a art installation. Then we have a second one that is a little bit more funny and it, a little bit break the ice a little bit of all the impression that you have because the dome is like a, it's very impressive when you are there. Yeah, so, so. the dome is in the main dining room. So yeah. when you come in, it's kind of like being in a planetarium and there's typically images that are shifting and changing. When I was here, it was the Northern Lights. Yeah. So you were having like watching the night sky over. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. had still have the Northern Light, but it changed completely. Smart, much, much more detail, and also like the 3D designers are putting a lot of effort. Like it's insane all the all the contents we have now. Mm. So the Alchemist is located in this uh, warehouse. So it's it is a yeah. really really big space, and that means that you get to walk through multiple rooms and really experience different settings while you're eating. And one of the things that I think is so fascinating is the number of staff you have and yep. the different, the diversity. So of course you think a restaurant, you think of course chefs and waiters, yep. but you have way more than that. So what are some of the roles on the team? I mean, we of course have from the house, we have all the kitchen, prep kitchen, everything, but also we have like the studio. The studio right now is uh, four 3D designers that are uh, hired, of course, for the dome content mainly. We have one sound engineer that makes all the music you hear in the restaurant is made in-house by Lars, that is a sound engineer. Then we have uh, Daniela that is like a designer that makes the menus, all of the I'll say 2D things that we design. Mm -hmm. And then in the... In the research area, we have like a chemist, we have a biotechnology, a microbiologist, we have a designer, industrial designers. We have a, it's a very, very multidisciplinary uh, team, like mm -hmm. extremely. And then you also have an incredible amount of machinery and yes. uh, toys to play with, which I, I feel like they're honorary team members in some way in terms of what they... No, 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 definitely. I mean, we are very lucky to have like a... I, in my experience, we have a way more equipment than anyone else. Like, but it's very important because it, have, it basically gives you freedom. No, like anything you can think, you can actually make it. I mean, there's not 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 much we cannot do here. Yeah, and that I think leads us really well into the underlying philosophy of the alchemist, which mm -hmm. is this idea of holistic cuisine. Yeah. and what's that? Holistic, you see, I mean, holistic means like a kind of like taking the same giving the same importance to all the parts and like looking as a whole and not like, or not like individual parts of something so we definitely look like alchemists as like one no and that's also like looking at like the interaction between science art and gastronomy like as a, a as one part like as a triangle no so it's like one important thing you know it's not like research is more important than dishes or vice versa no it needs to be everything at the same uh, with the same importance and i think you can really feel it because all the things you have during the menu they all have some kind of research some uh, research background or something that they, they are there for some reason no? mm -hmm. so when we think of this triangle of science art and gastronomy how is that reflected in the structure of the restaurant yep. that you get all of these parts to work together 
For example, like uh, we always try, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have it at the same time because the pace are quite different in some cases. For, but for example, we when we, we have the uh, weekly meetings, of course, like with the research we are doing, of course, we're, we're working on butterflies or on jellyfish or king crab or something uh, for dishes and uh, research. Of course, the designers know about this and they start designing uh, the content of the dome regarding this. So, for example, we have the jellyfish content. We have the dish that is the raw jellyfish dish. And we're also writing right now a scientific article, a research on the raw jellyfish liking and the textures and everything. No? And that happens a lot. We're doing like the king crab articles about to be published at the king crab abdominal flap. That has been in the menu over a year, so you see that there the timing is quite different because, of course, doing the articles way more, it takes much more time than doing the dish. In that case, it can be different also. And the dome content is being built now. So mm -hmm. a new dome content with all the invasive species and the jellyfish and the king crab. It's the same with, uh, we are working in a very invasive type of uh, larva that it becomes a butterfly. So from the very beginning, it was one of the ideas to eat butterflies in the restaurant and we found one is like a very very big problem here in Denmark because we only eat like cabbage and kales so it's the same we are doing the, the research the scientific article like giving likings and nutritional value heavy metals of the butterflies it's also a dish yeah. but it will be soon a dome content so how does this collaboration happen though like where does the idea come from Does it start with an overarching theme and then you try and come up with ideas under that? Or does it start with a dish? Like what? It's very... It depends. I mean, there's a, we have a, some some things that have been became from something uh, strictly gastron uh, gastronomical. So, for example, we take the cherry leaves and we took the cherry leaves and we started and said, oh, this is very interesting. And then we move it to research or vice versa. No? Or, for example, the silkworms start like a research project and then it was very interesting and then it moves it was a result in the in a dish, no? So you actually, and then we do brainstormings like every, we try to do it once a month, but with the times and everything, maybe it's like every two months. And we, of course, talk about new ideas and ideas can come from almost anyone. What does a brainstorming day look like? Is there a, a structure for that or? Yeah, I normally I'm the one like structuring it normally and it's like very free. Normally you start with a, a overview of what we have done and what we are doing. And like a little, um, just like to, to all be in the same pace. We, I mean, we should all kind of know, but just to be in the same pace. And then we just do a, like a free brainstorming with all the ideas you have. And then you have to present your ideas. And then we, and that's it. And then we select like the ideas that are worth to keep working or not to keep working. And we start like that. And of course, in other cases, just Rasmus or me saying, oh, uh, this is super interesting. Let's do it. No? Mm -hmm. It works both ways, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess for me now in the research, there's a lot, a lot of, I would say for me, personal projects that I really wanted to do before I came to Alchemist. And Alchemist was the perfect place to make them. And also Rasmus had like very, something that he really wanted to do. And we, of course, are doing it. No? Yeah, of course. And I think it's important to talk about the fact that the R&D lab is actually really separate from the restaurant. Yeah. So there, how is that structured? I mean, R&D, the research, both the desk kitchen and the research area, we work like Monday to Friday from nine to five. So it's very different from a normal, it's we are like have an office quote job. Quote unquote, regular job. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and we are very strict with that. Of course, you can stay more hours or less hours. We have a very free schedule. And it also keeps you with the creativity, with all the things we do. But it's normally like that. And of course, 
normal check works Wednesday to Saturday because mm -hmm. they do service. And we don't do service. We don't really work in the daily in the daily works of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it can take multiple months for a dish you conceptualize yeah, or definitely. research that you put into practice to actually get onto the stage, I'll call it, of being served to different yeah, diners. Yeah. So how does it begin to move through that funnel where you, you say, okay, we think we have something, we pass it on, and do you actually make the plate and come up with the idea, or does that happen with the chefs and the other part? Uh, it depends. But in general... <laughs> it's a very fluid process. In general, it will be, for example, if we doing a research or an idea, because if we have an idea, that idea not necessarily will be a research project, because mm -hmm. maybe it's just for a dish or maybe it's just like a, something simple that someone wants to put in the menu for any reason uh, or a research. Then when we have the research, for example, we will start with the research. So we're doing something. For example, right now we are doing a, a researching about a making meringue with silk. Mm. So we hydrolyze the silk with different methodologies. We are still working on it and we whip it as it's a meringue. No? And we are working on that. And once we have that protocol ready, with all the measurements of the pH, this is how it works, this is how you do it, blah, 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 blah. We will have a meeting with the test kitchen, select one person that will be in charge of that, of making that a dish. No, and you do the structure, this is it, blah, blah, and then they take it over. So I'm, I mean, of course, I always kind of uh, looking what they're doing, etc. but I would say they do the dish. I don't really necessarily... You give them the material, yeah, exactly. and then they can take it from there. So they take it from there, and I can do, I would say, whatever they want, no? Yeah. And they did develop the dish, and of course, Rasmus, we do a tasting with Rasmus every Friday, so he tested bigger, smaller, whatever the input they have, and then is he can take. And then from that moment, we don't really have a deadline, no? Because uh, he can take from a week that is ready, is perfect, and it can take months. Right, of course. No, And also, for example, there had been dishes that are quite uh, ready as food-wise, but then we are waiting, making a special cutlery. For example, the jellyfish is a, black, a silicone jellyfish that you've ever run. And actually to make that jellyfish was months after we actually had the dish ready. So I start with a different dish and then we didn't like it and then it was moved. So it can vary a lot. And then... When it's ready in the test kitchen, okay, everybody says, okay, Rasmus says it's perfect, blah, blah, blah. It can also take other months to actually implement it in the kitchen. Wow. Okay, one thing is we do maybe 10 or 1, and it's ready, it's perfect, but then you need to make 55 every day. Mm, so you have to scale it. Exactly. And figure out what that looks like. Yes, and that uh, can be a long process. Yeah. Longer than expected. Most of the times. <laughs> which which dish would you say takes the longest to prepare? Is there even a, um, you know, like the lean time of we need to cut it down to this amount of time to prepare this dish for it to be scaled to 50 servings I mean, a day? If the possibilities are very big here. So anything, I don't think any dish had not been put in the menu. I mean, the thing is like, uh, for example, one of the things we're waiting more, they have a, a dish that was based on H.G. Anderson's story about the sausage pack and the food as food it has been ready for months but we have a special cutlery with a special collaboration that we want put in and it will be it's take we're still waiting for like maybe five months or maybe more yeah so it's and we will not perfect. put it in the menu if we don't have that that makes sense but also we don't really have a deadline i mean we are the we have our own deadline so it's 
it's quite a, it, it kind of loose like the, the all these deadlines, but it's it's good, I guess. You've run multiple R and D food ah. labs around the world, and have quite a bit of experience seeing that in different contexts. Now you're here. Yeah. But what would you say is essential when it comes to a food R and D lab for it to work? Essential. Yeah. I mean, first of all, definitely budget, of course, because if not, you don't you don't have people to hire. Uh, and then, because with budget, not I don't mean money money to make the projects everything, but of course you need a core team. Because I, I guess one of the not problem, huh? but the, one of the things that to, to build one research lab, you need to have hundred percent people hired for that. Because I have been in research labs that, like they said, we have a test kitchen, we have an R and D, but it's actually the same chef that are doing service and doing prep, and then in their day in their free time they're doing some tests. No, and that's not an R and D. Why doesn't that work? Why isn't that a good? Model? Because you're not focused. I mean, even if you're not focused, and also you don't, you need space. You need a space to do this properly. You need uh, people to do this properly. You need like uh, also interdisciplinarity team. So that will be, of course, the main part, like the space. But all that is all everything. All of that is budget, no? Like the space, the team, everything, and then definitely collaborations. Mm. You need to have collaborations with the universities or with, I mean, depending on what would you want to research, of course. But I mean, we base almost, I would say, 90% of the research we're doing. We are partnered with some university. We are partnered with many different universities, but with some and some specific things to do. For example, things we, of course, we can do, like microbiology analysis, DNA extractions, or texturometry, or things that we can do here. Mm-hmm. I've heard you mention now a couple of times that the possibilities are endless at the Alchemister. Yep. It's a huge opportunity of what you can do. Are there any creative constraints around your work that either you've put into place, like, okay, we have nine to five work days, so you have time off to think or, mm -hmm. I don't know, process, or anything else where you're like, okay, if we have this, it helps us in our process of creating? To be honest, I don't know. I don't think we have anything like. I mean, we are we have holidays, of course, and we're thinking. I also think all, all everybody, everybody in the team, uh, have this as a very we really like what we're doing. Mm. So it's not like you need to actually kind of need to take time off of what you're doing. Of course, you get tired of maybe writing in the computer and blah blah blah. But actually, all the projects and everything, I think everybody is very engaged of the projects. And also, it's like we then even in the research we have a. A specific people is in charge of a specific projects, no. So I'm overseeing everything, but it's one specific person. Right now, the idea is like we have one person is uh, the more the is she's in charge of more the design projects. Then we have uh, one is more in design of the sensory analysis. Then we have one is more uh, biotechnology and microbiology. So they have their own specific things, mm -hmm. and I think they really like. I think I hope they like. And one of the, the things we were chatting about before we began is that within research, there's so much out there that yeah. you can discover. So when you get started with something, what is like step one? Is it just that you go search the internet to see what's already there that you can build upon? Or are you trying mm. to find I mean, that? it depends. But I, I mean, there's a, scientific papers are amazing. I always say like a, to the chef, to everybody in all the research areas, I mean, if you want to do something, look at it. At least, I was at least in Google Scholar. And then you go from Scopus to the Elsevier search for whatever, but at least Google Scholar, I mean, it's the minimum. And then you will see that anything you want to do, somebody already have done it in some way. 
Mm. Of course, it will not be exact same, but you will find, I mean, for us, it's always the case, like all the silkworm project that we're doing is 100% based on scientific papers that are already published. And of course, you change, maybe it's not exact same species of larva, it's a different one, it's not the same species of plant, but the methodology is the same, or vice versa, no? Mm. So there's a lot of building on other yes, work definitely. or on the definitely. There's this saying... I don't know how to really translate it in, in English, but I will try. Uh, it's like, um, if you copy for one, it's plagiarism. If you copy for many, it's research. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a, it's a saying. I don't know how to say it. But it's true. It's completely true. Yeah. I mean, if you, re if you make a review paper, everything, what you're doing is basically taking all that somebody else did and just putting it together. And... In this context, normally, you know, you cite a paper or you reference something, but you don't need to do that within the dishes or do you end up uh, citing somewhere that it... No, in the dishes, no, because the dishes are something way different. I mean, in the research, when you do the research and you base the extraction of the silk in this paper, the whatever cooking in this other, blah, 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 blah. And then when you have a final result, it's a weaving meringue that it works. It's actually us, no? Yeah. Yeah. So that it will be alchemist. And in some ways, I guess the goal is for many others to imitate you too. Like with some of these yeah, of new course. innovative things, when it comes course, to food waste or anything else, you'd want other people to pick it up. Yeah, you know? of course, it's a of good course. thing if they do that. Yeah. So when we talk about the collaborations, how is it that you uh, come to work with these people? Are you mainly reaching out if you read someone's paper and want to work with them or reach out to a university? Or do they tend to email I mean, and contact you? The thing at least right now in Alchemist, I have been very lucky to have a lot of contacts during my career. Have been very lucky to teach at Harvard many times. Uh, you do when I was in Basculinary Center, I went there like I don't know at least six times already, uh, doing classes on the fermentation things and innovation and everything. So I know everybody there now. Navila, it's a uh, her Tudor is Pia Sorensen from Harvard. So of course it's very easy to collaborate with them. It's the same with Basculinary Center. I worked there for six years. I built the culinary lab there from zero. So of course. We collaborate. It's very natural the collaboration, no? Mm -hmm. The same with KU, with Copenhagen University. Alchemist already had a collaboration with them, and just uh, as I worked before in the Nordic Food Lab, I know Michael, like know Dennis from before. So yeah, it has been like quite uh, easy in that sense. And I also one of things like that, like of, of all the people you know in this path, but also everybody wants to collaborate with Alchemist. And if you go anywhere and you say, no, alchemist, blah, 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 is everybody say yes. So if we take an example of a university, how do you structure the collaboration? Is it that they send a PhD or they, like, who gives what? It depends. For example, the easy, easy. The most structured one is, of course, through master thesis or PhDs. Not right now, we have... We had, because one I finished like a week or two weeks ago, two master theses. Now it's today, Manuel. And then uh, PhDs is also long term. So it's three years four to four years. So we have two also. And that's one that, of course, they decide like a, they, they can, we have the option that they propose a project. And we said, okay, yes, no. So we're very open. Like, for example, in the project of the shape changing with the cylinder that was cheap proposed to us this and we were really looking to do something similar so it was a very easy choice or if not we propose the projects for example now we have a phd uh, sorry a master student from ku that he's doing a fermentation project about the murri and the buddha it was something that 
we really wanted to do, but we didn't have the time or the people. So it was a perfect fit for this because of biotechnology, microbiology. Mm. So in that way, and if not, uh, that's one way, like through students. And then, uh, like, for example, we did DU. We're working with a group it's called the DU Biosustain, and they're helping us in all the microbiology and DNA and all everything, fermentation microbiology, from many papers. For example, we're doing a paper on the silkworm frass to make tea, and they will do all the microbiology. And we just, I actually don't remember how we connect with DTU with them. Mm. And then it was like, a, we have the same goals, the same ideas, and they are, they are of course, very interested in the research we are doing. We need someone to help us with the microbiology. So it was like that. And actually, it's yeah, just a very informal collaboration, obviously. Uh, is it you that filters and decides and staffs each of the projects? Because I'm, I'm wondering how many research projects yeah. you do at one time, if there's a limit or? Mainly with um, It's mainly me. I mean, Rasmus is very open, and of course, he always have the same, the final thing. But the alchemist frame is so big. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing fr- we are doing from silkworm excrement tea to bread in space. Yeah, let's talk about both of those. I want to start with <laughs> I want to start with space and this collaboration you have looking at space from a couple yeah. different perspectives. Yeah. So, what's going on with alchemist and? space i mean this is start also because i we met with maggie i don't remember when but i have been in mit media lab so quite a few times also for doing classes or for the specific projects and in the mit media lab and she also has some collaboration with bus culinary center that i was working before and they have this uh, group this initiative is called uh, a space exploration initiative mm. and they are looking uh, space in a more uh, to say, in a more not a more realistic way in the sense like how you will feel and the in a good way not not in a survival way like no? what is it going to look like for us to live on another planet yeah exactly but everything like they are they have uh, people that is actually doing uh, architecture like how an architect will work in space Oh, how, just practically, like how am I going to model my exactly how you my, build it? So now they yeah. have one that is like a, this, like a PhD that is like a, this is kind of like the IKEA thing that you send it like this, but through magnets and through coding, it builds itself. Mm, cool. So because how you are going to build something in space? Yeah. So the, all these kind of things. So they have an architect. They are doing music for space because music will not sound the same. So they are really looking. They are really pushing forward. It's not survival. We need to be alive in and eating dry, freeze dry food. No, it's way more than that. So in that is Maggie that is in, uh, in charge of all the part of the food part, and she was really looking for doing a, a collaboration with us because we knew each other and then he is a part of the space exploration initiative and we're basically doing three main projects that one is a, the international space station has an oven that it has been only used once to heat up a cookie and we are developing the recipe how to make bread there because bread has a very big connotation culturally and it's something like mm. it also gives you comfort and the smell it has like more more connotations that just survival so we are developing a recipe for that because even if it's it's the recipe is quite simple. This there's in a lot of constraints. Constraints. There's a lot, a lot of constraints. So it's more. It's definitely not what you will feel like, like a kneading, a dough, sourdough. Something is way, way different. It's more. It feels more like a sourdough pancake brioche 
ish thing mm. Mm. but it has the flavor of a sourdough it has the as much crispiness as much crust we, ca- we could get for the uh, closed container that we had so that's one then we have we're building a fermentation chamber there's actually the 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 article is uh, already accepted so it will be published quite soon about how to build a fermentation chamber uh, with different technologies developed by MIT and we are developing of course the recipes to make once we're doing a sourdough a spicy sauce like a hot sauce and a kombucha Mm-hmm. All based on freeze-dry ingredients, or ingredients are already available at a space, like all the freeze-dry containers and everything, and how to actually create like this system, no? And the next step now, because now the bread that we're making is based on is sourdough flavor, but it's not actually sourdough is not actually making any fermentation. So now the next step will actually be all the protocols and everything, how to make sourdough on space. And the other one is like the big one is like the a lunar food system. So actually like creating all the closed system and ecosystem of how actually you can live in the moon, no? like from cooking, from planting, for growing, from harvesting, from everything. No? And what was it about the soil? You got samples ah, of yeah. moon soil? It's something is called a uh, regolith because a uh, moon, I mean, you can actually, I mean, I guess you can, anyone can actually buy it online because it's, it's something for research. No, So they uh, would actually moon sample, uh, moon soil samples. Uh, they replicated on Earth, so you can get this uh, soil that is exact, exact replicas of two different types of moon soil. That is something called regolith. Then regolith is like the because it's you have hard rock and on top you have like dust, like dust that is top and this, that's called regolith in English. And it really feels like a glass powder or like cement glass powders plaster so it's very fine it's very difficult to work with so we were doing a uh, mike is working in building a, like an oven with that with it mm. and we're also working with the pometed with the energy gene bank uh, to to see how we can plant things on on that soil and we're making this because in the we plant directly uh, to see what happened and not the all the plants die basically and now we're making like a like some kind of pellets like kind of like a bonsai soil so you make little pellets so you can put water. So it will be uh, a, a, a mixed system of aquaponics. So you have uh, water with nutrients, but in this moon soil pellets. No? How does all of this work trickle back or relate back to the alchemist? Uh, I mean, this not necessarily will be uh, seen in the menu. I mean, I guess uh, one of the th- best, once we have this more finished, I guess maybe later this year or early next year, we'd really want to do an event uh, about uh, this and just uh, at maybe a lecture and uh, serve the food that we're developing. And then we need to decide. I mean, maybe later when we have this, when we already have this hot sauce on the bread recipe and it's working and everything, we can definitely include the bread recipe in one of the dishes and just explain that this bread is also the same bread that we're actually they are doing in space and everything. But actually the bread itself is very, if you just eat it without knowing anything, it's just soggy bread. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a great example of a collaboration more with the university. It's super futuristic, very cool, yeah. like mind-blowing in its own right. But you've also done stuff like work with big food companies or corporations where you say, send us your uh, yeah. things that you can't sell or people don't want to eat, and then you create some magic with that. So what's an example of this kind of 
relationship. Yeah, we did this, uh, I guess a big example is with uh, MS Dona. MS Dona is a Norwegian company that sells Kingcraft to all fine dining restaurants all over Nordics. And when we, and we used to bought them uh, Kingcraft legs and normal, and like the normal products they sell. And we're talking with them, we, uh, they, they said to us, oh, we have a few things that you might be interested in. We were talking when I started here and we said, okay, send us everything that you don't sell. All the things you throw away to the garbage. And we get very interesting things and the many that we did, we actually didn't did anything because it was just very bitter or very difficult to work with. But one of the, the, those was like the abdominal flap. That is what the females get the eggs or also, I mean, males also have it. And it's such a meaty, meaty, meaty part that it also needs a little bit more work like to brine and everything because, because it doesn't have the same texture as the leg is a little bit more not mushy but in that direction but if you brine it correctly and if you cook it correctly it's an amazing piece and it's so much meat in there so we uh, and that is also like this directly discarded in the ocean or is at at its best is fish food so they just grind it dehydrate it and put it in pellets for fish so we have it in the menu for quite some months now, I would say over a year maybe. And we are about to publish the scientific article, of course, like on the texture, cooking methods, uh, how the liking, if people like it or not. And it's something very interesting. We want to even push to put like even in, in the hospital or something for kids or for like schools, because it's something way cheaper, of course, mm. and it's extremely good quality and we have all the nutritional value, we have everything in the paper, so it will be like a very good proof to say this is very good to serve, no? It's a little bit more work, but but it's, it's very good. And the other thing, for example, was the caviar, that the king crab caviar, like the eggs, are very inconsistent, so different for different techniques, we were able to have like a very, a very standard very standard product that we can actually serve in the restaurant, no? Then, and now we are also working in, uh, they are uh, say like applying to a project to make chitosan from the shells of the Kingcraft. So that's also very interesting because we're already working with chitosan in a different project. So it will be great to actually get the abdominal flaps, get the 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 eggs, the caviar, and also have the chitosan from the same kingcraft that we're using. No? In this sense, it sounds like it's super important to try and get it culturally accepted. If yeah. this is food people normally don't want to buy or there isn't a it's tradition like a, around it, which yeah. I don't know if there's a tradition yeah. around eating king crab, but in that sense, it's super new and innovative and you know not yeah. part of someone's diet and before. I, and I guess that's kind of the, the alchemist part of it, no? because people will see this surf here and say, oh, wow, it's super cool and it's super... F- uh, the texture is amazing and everything, but then we can also extrapolate it and sell it in supermarkets or in the yeah, menus from school. So you could spin out a business selling yep, king, <laughs> king crab if you wanted. So if that's food waste, you've also done invasive species, which yep. is a big problem, and especially as we uh, heard our natural ecosystem, we're seeing more and more of XYZ population coming yep. up. So how do you handle that or how do you work with that? We have a, I mean... We have one with the jellyfish that we were saying, like jellyfish are very invasive species causing a lot of problems. And the thing we, I mean, we basically found that the best uh, way to serve it is with raw. And of course, jellyfish have been eaten in Asia and in many places, but they normally uh, do a very, uh, they put a solution of uh, lime and then they dehydrate it. So it's kind of chewy and the texture, I mean, for me, it's not pleasant at all. 
but raw we find that it's, of course it's safe to eat of course but it, it really feels like oysters so mm. it's really interesting to serve and it's very straightforward no so the one and then the other one is like for example one of the things that Rasmus always wanted to serve was serving butterflies and we found uh, during research this butterfly that's called Pieris rabae or Pieris brassicae so it's two different ones that they, the larvas eat uh, only brassicas that's like uh, kale, cabbage, uh, cauliflower, broccoli, etc. No, all brassicae families. And they do like very, very, very big, uh, like they eat everything. So they, uh, there's actually uh, all the papers you can find about this species is how to kill them. Wow. So it's the only papers you can find on how to kill them, how to kill this pest and everything. And actually like these insecticides that uh, are especially made for this species and what they put is mustard oil in the pesticides to kill this species. No, So we were talking with a farmer that uh, he actually sells us the um, uh, ants and he has a kale crop. So we asked them how if he has this, no, if he's a problem or not. And he says, yeah, of course, this, they call it in English, it's called like the white cabbage butterflies. And it's everybody, everybody hits them. Wow. Uh, and we said, ah, we want to buy you the butterflies. So he starts selling us the butterflies. Instead of selling kale, he sells us the butterflies. And I'm pretty sure they're more expensive than the kale. But as you see, like this, like only like uh, pest butterflies uh, reveals and everything is like very, and it was very mind blowing because also it's uh, we have served for a few people uh, the butterflies and we always have this comment of like, oh how you're killing butterflies they're so precious blah 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 blah, but it's because they don't know, yeah because this is actually like a huge problem big problem yep wow and we're eating them yeah. That's a good thing. I yeah, I mean, I don't hope we create a market for selling butterflies, but at least it's something awareness of something, of course, very thought for alchemists, like, well, like wow, a butter, real butterfly, you know, but also has way more uh, thought than actually just eating butterflies for the shock of it. Yeah, but I guess that's always the risk if you popularize something or inspire something that yeah. then it can become really big and scaled really big that it becomes a different problem in its own right. Yeah, yeah like overeating XYZ. Yep. Um, I also want to highlight one last collaboration, which is with another guest of the podcast, Aviaya, who's been uh, fo focused on Inuit foods. Yes. So how have you guys been working together? I, I met Aviaya through Dennis Sandris. That Dennis Sandris is the head of microbiology of KU and is the tutor of one of the master students we have with the Murray. And he said, you should meet, you are doing amazing things. Blah, blah. And then we meet and of course we... He's she's doing such an amazing work. And talking about possible collaborations, because she really was very interested in what we're doing, we finally found two very interesting things. She came here to Alchemist and brought like fermented seal blubber, some dried reindeer, some dried walrus, and so many different things. And the two things we are working now is like a culinary application of the fermented seal blubber as she already has like all the very i would say hardcore research on genomics on dna and everything on all these products we're going to do all the culinary applications so how to cook it how not to cook it how to render it how to etc possibly putting this on the on the menu also i will see what what ends and also the supplies and the logistics uh, but now we're working on that with the article and also the other one is um 
like a bird that's called tarmillan that uh, in Inuits used to take the crop. I don't know if the cor- crop is the correct word in English, but it's like a pouch they have in their trachias, throat, yeah. yeah. where they keep all the herbs they eat. Hmm. So they eat herbs, very fine herbs, and something that was really, top because I was very into like a, a poisonous plants and how mm. poisonous is a very, is always ab- about countries and context and different things. The the birds only eat very poisonous plants and also berries and you know, but as being this enzymatic change in the crop and in the pouch and all this, then they took the this crop, they dehydrated and they put it on aquavit to make snaps of it. Wow. So it's and it's very it's tasty. It's very tasty and it's very it's so interesting, no? And so we will do the same. She's doing all the microbiology DNA things, of course we don't do. And we will do culinary applications to see how, what's the ratio, uh, how much time, how much not time, and just try it and see. Maybe we can also have it in the menu as a snap at the end of the meal. Or mm. There's so many old traditions that can be learned. Yeah. Just like you said, research has been done in everything. There's also so much in history or yeah, things yeah. that have been lost that we can pick up and do something with. Um, I lastly want to just highlight silkworms, which I know is one oh, yeah. of your, your favorite things. Yeah, so yeah. what about that project? I mean, it was something uh, when I was when I was lucky to be at the MIT Media Lab. I was, of course, uh, looking at the Neri Oxman group, and they were working there in a project which is called Agua Oja. And then when I was reading about what they're doing, they're basically using the um, but, uh, like natural natural products to uh, to replace plastic or uh, build mat- build walls or different things, and I was talking with one of the peoples of the group, and they showed me about the silk pavilion. No, that it was silk pavilion was the basically they create a dome with some. They did a structure, a dome structure, and they put silkworms, and the silkworms create like all the silk around the dome. So cre- it was made by itself. No. So I was always with this idea, like silk, they look so amazing and silk is f- pure protein. Silkworms are edible everywhere, like uh, in, uh, everywhere. In East Asia, they eat the pupas, they eat the silkworms, they have different things, they eat everything. So actually like... Uh, and that's the link a lot, a little bit to Chinese medicine, right? Or that yeah, a lot yeah. of inspiration can be so found there. The, the, first pro- the first idea was how you can extract the proteins from the silk to make something and the most normal thing you will think is making like a meringue like a weak meringue like a foam something like that and then we even found that it's actually already articles on how to uh, use um, silk uh, to hydrolyze silk so it's like a powder that you mix with water and they cover strawberries to make them last longer no, so you already have a paper on the extraction and it's, it's edible. No, so that's one. And then we start working on that. We're really working on like very good results of actually like weaving silk, like making meringue of weaving silk, and also in a siphon. And then uh, in this process, we, we when we were rearing and raising and farming the, all the worms, we found like the droppings, like like the excrement that the fancy word in English is frass. Hmm. Uh, it was something very used in Chinese in China as a, a medicine, and it was actually something very exclusive and very expensive. And there was actually like uh, papers on how much flavonoids it has because of the properties as a medicine, and also like uh, all these uh, 
Chinese culture about this insect they called. So we basically extrapolate the exact same process that they were doing, but what they use is a different type of larva that creates a different type of silk. Uh, so we basically we say copy paste the same process, but with ours, uh, our, ours no, uh, with our uh, type of silkworms that is called bombix moris, because uh, silkworms only exclusively eat mulberry leaves. So the excrement is processed mulberry leaves, doesn't have anything else. So here in-house we have um, 40 sommeliers, and so we did all the tasting and roasting and everything. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, all the different, so right now we are toasting in a specific way and everything, and it's currently on the menu. And also we are doing an article on this. We're doing an article on the... We will do an article on the, on the silk, of course, the whipped silk, but it's a little bit far from now. But we already did all the sensory analysis and everything from the from the frass. We're just waiting We because uh, silkworms are very seasonal from May to October because of the mulberry leaves. So actually we are supposed to get this week or early next week uh, 40,000 eggs. <laughs> <laughs> of silkworms. It's a good delivery. Yes. So, but it's very small. It's 40,000 eggs. It's like this. Yeah. Uh, so we go mulberry leaves for a farm in Roskilde. So we go pick them and then we will raise them and have frost for all the year mm. and silk and everything. So writing these articles is obviously a way of giving back all this amazing and hard work that you're doing, mm -hmm. but you're also doing work with kids and helping I, uh, them to understand. I mean, these are uh, different projects like uh, with the research. It's like one is like a... Uh, I mean, the main one is um, a YouTube channel like uh, for Danish uh, kids, like how to teach science uh, through gastronomy, basically. And we have like uh, chapters from space food, like very like Maggie's doing like uh, uh, showing the bread and how you do it and how not to do it. We're doing what about cheese? What about fermentation? Like uh, in a very simple way in YouTube, no? But definitely, like, how to teach science through gastronomy and pushing that through the alchemist perspective, no? Mm -hmm. It's always, like, a little bit more funny and everything. But it's all examples from alchemists. We're yeah. saving their uh, invasive species and we're saving, like, the jellyfish. And all it's very that. interesting. So now I'd love to ask you the last four questions that everyone okay. gets asked. And the first one is, what is your vision for the future of the food system in 10 to 15 years? Meaning, what do you think the future is going to look like? In how many years? 10 to 15. 10 to 15. Yeah. I, to be super honest, I always tend to think that they will not change that much. Really? Because we always put in these solutions of everything and be more sustainable and everything, but mm -hmm. always someone else is doing the opposite. I guess for me, I would say my hopes, but I don't I don't think it will happen, but my hopes will be like a stop, stop talking about the... Kind of food. Stop. I, I kind of bother now. Is to, they talk about food waste and not just thinking about using the whole ingredient as it is. No, because just putting the word waste, you're actually cre uh, putting like a bad connotation to it. No, it's something like you do. For example, it's very. It's, it's the same what you do with animals or like a pig or that. You eat everything, so you don't have waste because everything. But it has a different purpose. No, it's the same when you have whatever, a cauliflower or a beetroot. You have everything that is serves different purpose. It's not that the leaves or the skin are waste. No, I would really like to change that in that sense. Also, like, just uh, thinking about farm, if you go, I don't know, you have a sunflower. 
it was very important for me this I saw it in 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 Ukraine I think they have like big big fields of sunflowers and they eat the sunflowers when they are small like an artichoke and then you take this the stems and then you can cook them and eat them so you you stop thinking about the sunflower as oil and the seeds because you are wasting wasting too, so much they really think of the whole everything and mm -hmm. you eat everything you just eat them in different times no Mm -hmm. So I would really love to kind goes, of... goes back to holistic cuisine, right? Like that idea of the whole and yeah. the parts. Yeah, I guess so. Well, normally my follow-up question to that is, what are we missing to get to that future? But uh, <laughs> No, but I, I mean, I guess uh, I would say the, the way to teach about it also. I think it's a lot. I, I work in a culinary university for six years, and we always try to teach about that. But I know in many others it's not. It's not how you teach, and also in the, in the houses and and your home. I think it's definitely, but I guess it will take a lot of time. Yeah. But like, the, I think it's definitely a mindset, and not in, it needs to be a mindset and not like something that is a force. I guess now it needs to be forced because you need to change it. But yeah, it's a different thing. I also love to ask, what collaborations are you looking for? As I mentioned, we have people from all over the world listening, and you never know what you put out in the universe, what might come back to you, or what what help you might need, if any. What help would I be, if any? I'm not sure, to be honest. We, are all, we have so many collaborations. I would just say we are very open to do any type of collaborations. We are always trying to look very uh, interesting projects we're very open and also one of the things i will really we are going in that direction is kind of like creating even like a half of research not only alchemists for alchemists of course if it's something interesting we'll put in an alchemist but like uh, bringing people that can do their own research at alchemist yeah yeah so you end up being a hub that enables much more or exactly. enabling people to like putting all on all other resources in some other people project that we find interesting, of mm. course, for the frame. Mm -hmm. And what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they want to pitch an idea or think they have a, a great thing that would be worth collaborating on? I guess on? send me an email. Like say, <laughs> Classic. Or, Not LinkedIn, email, Instagram, you know, there's some I will options. say you can send an email. Uh, we have Alchemist Explore as an Instagram, mm -hmm. and you can just send a message there. I will read it. Nice. And if not, an email to me, and it will definitely... I mean, we are always looking for collaborations and we are always happy to collaborate. Yeah, in its own right. Yep. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to mention or that is important? I don't know. I think we talked I about a lot of things. we talked about everything. Yeah. When you see like all the projects we have, is like very all over the place, to be honest. We have from 3D, food 3D printing the, with El Salinde, shape changing food with extreme insects, butterflies... Everything. Space food, microbiology that we haven't talked about that, but it's like very a lot of projects with microbiology and creating su um, well, sustainable prote proteins based on filamentous fungi from both from the DU and from Berkeley University that we're working with them. Mm. What is your Many. hope with all of this work, if there is a hope in terms of what, what is will... my hope with us? Mm. I mean, like, what I would really lo love to see is more places like us. And I know it has to be a lot with budget and like a lot of with, it, but but also it's with intent, like not because also like have, I have been working in and with many, if not all, 
of the research department in famous restaurants. But if you see mono, most of them, they only do uh, research for their own and very small. So it's very, very straightforward things that only have an impact on their own uh, restaurants. No, mm-hmm. I would really love to have to see chefs or like culinary research department doing more scientific articles, especially. I think it's very, very extremely needed. And it's now it's easier than ever. Why like, is it needed? What is the... To share the, co- the content, the, share the content and share the knowledge, but in a scientific way. Mm-hmm. Not like a book with no background, no? Mm. So I really think like uh, applying scientific methodology to gastronomy in their research is uh, if you want to research, have a research demand, it's very, it's the most basic thing. And one of the outcomes that at least we are looking for is definitely publish a lot of scientific articles. I definitely think it's the, I know, well, not say correct way, but for me personally, is the best way to put it there. Yeah, but it's a super interesting KPI or key performance metric in terms of, you know, it's hard to make money in any restaurant, but I don't think I've ever heard of a restaurant measuring its success in terms of how much knowledge they share or yep. papers they write and the open innovation that comes from that in terms of enabling yeah. others. No, no, definitely. I mean, of course, then like, one of the goals, of course, you can get some other company with some business because, of course, all, everybody needs money to do researches, that's, of course. But uh, at least starting with having some really strong building blocks and background with the scientific articles we're doing. And definitely, I hope it's something that people find interesting to uh, get in- inspired and keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And what's what's the goal of that? Why, in terms of more in it, like more papers and more knowledge, what's the point of spreading the knowledge or sharing it? Is it so that we have a greener world, we fight climate change, sustainability, to leave a mark? I mean, I, I guess it's, uh, for example, all the things that we're doing can be related with sustainability and also can be related with the new culinary ingredients. And I guess that we're doing it here in Denmark, but that can be easily extrapolated in any country in the world. Like, for example, we're doing the silkworms, and silkworms are very alien to Nordic countries, no? But we're doing it here and we are doing everything. So in, in a sense, you put this there and there's other countries that, of course, had way more silkworm uh, because uh, it's it like a tradition than us, but they haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it really is about pushing the envelope of what's possible and opening the mind definitely. to be more accepting and more open. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your work. It's thank wonderful. Thank you very much. All right, that's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic food tech ecosystem together. See you next time.